Welcome to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I'm a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. How are you doing, Jamal? I, I'm doing all right. Um, we, are, we, we, we are banking podcasts as we normally do and we have just recorded one of our most chaotic podcasts <laughs> ever that is going to actually make you have to do some editing work. Uh, no spoilers as to what it is. Um, but, um, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling good. I, I'm feeling like we've got that out of our system. We can have a serious conversation now. So do you something. feel like you have soul? I do. Yeah. I, I feel like my soul has returned to my body after whatever <laughs> yeah, experience. an out-of-body experience while recording a podcast. Yeah. Oh, man, this is uh, a weird intro. <laughs> They, they, they keep getting weirder and weirder because we just keep having to, to find fun things to say. Jamal's becoming episode. more and more self-referential. That's true. Um, but, no, I, we, we do have a, a more serious topic to talk about today and one that I think is quite topical and one that I'm, I'm quite interested to, to dive into. So do you want to run us through it, Jacob? Yeah, well, we're going to jump out into, I mean, we've been political before, but jump out into a particularly political hot-button issue in Australia at the moment which is the, the Uluru Statement from the Heart uh, and the upcoming referendum um, that is likely to, to take place later this year about Indigenous recognition in the Constitution uh, and a voice to Parliament and those kind of things. Uh, and we're not going to talk about, we're not going to bore you with the different political ins and outs of all of that. But I'm curious, having read a piece um, just recently by Rowan Williams. It's an edited extract um, from his contribution to a collection of essays, uh, which is called Statements from the Soul, the Moral Case for the Uluru Statement of the Heart, about these the spiritual aspect, I guess, the re- religious aspect, you could say, in something like Indigenous rights, Indigenous recognition, um, acknowledgement. We, we haven't said on the podcast previously but it would probably behoove us to mention that we're recording this on Ngunnawal land that's correct um and we weren't the first people here by a long shot like not only Jamal and I but you know our our ancestors have been here not very long in the grand scheme of how long First Nations people have been in this country Uh, and I would add that you know recognizing that we are recording this on on land that was stolen and and land where sovereignty was was never ceded from um, which, which is, I guess, particular importance when, when we are talking about issues of, of representation and uh, participation in, in democratic systems um, that, are, that are essentially overriding uh, traditional ways of governance and, and, and operating. And so Rowan Williams argues here, um, he's, he's British, so, so what he's doing weighing into this debate is, is a whole other... Question, but um, a wonderful, a, a wonderful Christian theologian. I mean, I think he'd say he's actually Welsh, so maybe that lets him off the hook slightly. Um, but it, he he jumps right in talking about terra nullius, right, which was the the argument that the uh, the legal fiction that was wrought for a long time that, that you know, well, there was no one owned the land before the British came here and put a flag down, and that somehow counts. He says colonialism takes it for granted that land and all that goes with it, wildlife, natural resources, is a bundle of objects that can be owned. If no one is claiming to own it or if someone else judges that a current owner is managing it inadequately, it can legitimately be appropriated. Like that's it. the idea sitting underneath colonialism. But he goes on to, to argue that by doing that and by seeing land and everything that sits on land 
purely through this lens of property um, with kind of a, a John Locke sort of view around land that it, you know you need to be using it productively in order to have a claim to it and so on, that we actually miss a spiritual connection um, and a spiritual aspect of the land that we're present on, what we can learn from that, but also kind of, I guess it almost drives us into a consumerism mindset. Well, and I think it, it drives an extractionist mindset, right? And we've spoken previously on the podcast about the kind of the role that God gave humanity in in caring for uh, the earth and in caring for, um, you know, for, for stewarding or having dominion over or you know, however you want to translate that and the various kind of implications of that. So, But, but I think there is a very... Um, you know, I, I don't think you can divorce Christianity from colonialism, right? And I think there's a very Christian-founded view of the land and view of, um, of of what it means to to be kind of imbued with, you know, a kind of a God-given right to to own and possess and to conquer. And I think all those things are, you know, obviously deeply, deeply colonial, but also deeply Christian. I, I, I and you know, I, I know you're well aware of kind of the role of the missions and the churches uh, in mm-hmm. colonialism, particularly in Australia. Um, but but I think even even in the kind of the colonial project was driven from a very Christian way of thinking about the world. In a kind of possession, taking, grasping aspect? Um, yes, but I guess also a kind of um, a supremacy of of kind of a supremacy of those, I guess, who feel they have a monopoly on God, you know, or who people, you know, it's, you know, I, so, you know, to, to go, to go back to my anthropology kind of um, undergraduate degree, right. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of colonialism from what I understand was founded very much on kind of this concept of cultural evolutionism, right. That, um, that there are various different, uh, stages of evolution that humans go through that kind of mirror biological evolution and you can see that on a cultural level so you know you know uh, hunter gatherers are uh, evolve into agriculturalists who evolve into industrialists mm-hmm. who evolve into you know whatever modern society right and you know and and uh, side note that's one of my big criticisms of Marx is that he plays very heavily he, he absolutely in, into does that, yeah. right um, but so but cultural evolution, um, is went hand in hand and is, is written down in many places as going hand in hand with a concept of religious evolution too, right? Where you yeah. have, you know, animism evolving into pantheism, evolving into monotheism. So, you know, I, I think, you know... Evolving into modern atheism and secular humanism, it would be argued as well. Absolutely, right, yeah. yeah. But I think if you look at the colonial project at the time when it was, it was very much, it, it, you know, it conceived of both... Western society and mono uh, monotheistic religion as the kind of the pinnacle of the evolutionary tree, and so that provided all of the justification needed for dispossession and all of the justification mm-hmm. needed for theft. And you know, if we go and, back, and it gave a ability to view others as less than. Well, e- exactly right. right, and I think that you know the concept of terra nullius was a legal construct and a legal falsehood, but it was founded in the concept that well the people here are hunter-gatherers, they are so far devolved that they're not even people. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, whilst from our modern perspective we see that's deeply incorrect and hurtful, from the perspective of the 1700s, 
that makes legal sense because, you know, you're not viewing the inhabitants of what became Australia as even kind of in the same species as humans. So mm-hmm. you you can kind of make a claim that they're not there. So it's there's a lot of threads in there to unpick and I'm, I'm interested in diving into just like a couple of these aspects because I think part of part of what you're describing is a a conflation of capitalism, Western culture, and Christianity, which I don't want to pretend for a second hasn't happened and doesn't happen. But I also think that those things need not necessarily be conflated all in together. And and we've got examples kind of going back to the colonial era, the invasion era in Australia of Christian missionaries in particular kind of pulling those threads apart. And, you know, some of the people who were most critical of what was happening were Christian missionaries a lot of the time. And some of the people who were most kind of, you know, the, the reason that we still have some of the languages that we have and the records of it is due to anthropological, anthropological interests of people on the one hand, absolutely. But also, on the other hand, of the, the interests of missionaries wanting to talk to people, to evangelize to them. And there, there were problematic ways that that was done. But there's also an aspect to which that's a humanizing of people in a sense or, or valuing that... The, people were sometimes valued more highly by the church than they were by the state mm, in, sure. uh, in that era, is, is what I want to say. For sure. And, and I, I don't want to imply that there were no good Christians at the time, right? Because, yes, you're absolutely correct. I think a lot of the, a lot of the more kind of stories of, of humane treatment in amongst the inhumanity of what was going on um, with colonialism do come from people who were deeply religiously motivated for that. Absolutely, I think, I think we, that that's worth acknowledging. Um, but yeah, I it, it's it's interesting. Uh, the, the interesting layer of it that I think we're kind of getting to talking about here is this. Like, I, I guess I'm uh, I, I'm interested in the kind of the concept of religious evolutionism, right? Um, and and I, I guess okay. I guess I'm interested in it from your perspective as a Christian, right? Because I think what you're saying is correct that that you know missionaries who came to Australia had to inherently see indigenous populations as people in order to want to proselytize proselytize to them, right? Sure. Um, but I mean, is there a concept in Christianity, or is there an implicit thing that you know monotheistic Jesus centric criticism is a kind of the the more evolved, enlightened way of seeing religion that somehow, you know, I mean, you know, what is the view of Christians of people who are animistic, of people who mm. have, you know, what, uh, you know, and again, not being a First Nations person myself, I, I don't have a full understanding of First Nations theology, but from the the, the kind of the, the limited interaction I have had with First Nations um, peoples, you know, th- there's a real concept of... Um, of, of kind of you know, spirituality being embedded in everything that that you know the dreaming and mm-hmm. that these ideas of land being not just a part of something that 
we as humans are a part of, but also inherently spiritual and inherently tied in with theology and spirituality. Like, you know, what is the Christian view of that other than it's not correct because it doesn't involve Jesus? Like, you know, is there a kind of hierarchical concept in Christianity around those kinds of beliefs? It's it's a good question. There kind of there there is and there isn't in a sense that um, Christian Christianity as a belief system, like it it comes out of Judaism, right? Um, and the the thinking there is that like well, because of Jesus, Christians have a a fuller kind of truer picture of God, um, and that's it's probably how. All it's at, at the base, you could say that you know the major Abrahamic monotheistic faiths, so Christianity, Judaism, and, and Islam, all relate to one another in this way. In that, well, yeah, we think you adherence to the other two, kind of, we think you sort of get God, but you don't get God as well as we do. Like it's, it's a bit like we were talking months ago about like kind of how I see Lutheran theology in relation to all of the other Christian theologies, like. There, there's shades of that to it. Um, in terms of the specific spirituality of, you know, spirituality in all things that that you were talking about, am I understanding you right for a minute? Mm. Um, I think there's something, this is what I particularly appreciated about the, the Rowan Williams article, that Christianity can learn in some ways from those traditions. And... Certainly, um, this is this is what I was wanting to push back on a little bit before about the conflation of Western culture and Christianity, because there are Christians in a whole bunch of non-Western settings, and their faith doesn't look the same and doesn't unpack in the same way as it does if you come from a Western background. Uh, I was thinking, particularly, there was a um, a whole bunch of work done in the late '90s, um, which resulted in a book called uh, Rainbow Spirit Theology, which was a bunch of Christian theology but unpacked from an Indigenous Australian perspective um, and Indigenous Australians unpacking how they relate to their ancient culture and dreaming stories and these kind of things um, and in, in a way almost like how you can read Indigenous culture alongside Genesis and go well. This was in the Mediterranean, you know, ancient Near East. Their understanding of where everything came from, and here's how they saw God in all of that. Here's our Australian Aboriginal understanding of how everything was created. How do we see God in that? And where does God fit? And there's there's a an interesting constructive program that goes along with that. Yeah, and I I think that. My instinct would be to say that, that that's interesting and constructive as long as it doesn't impose the supremacy of God. Because, I, I, again, like, so to your point before, and I, and I know I keep coming back to this, but I, I, I think it is important. Um, I take your point before that not all Christianity looks Western, but all Westernism it looks Christian, right? So, like, I, you know, sure. I, it, it, I don't think you can give Christianity a pass for its role on, in colonialism by talking about how it plays a role in lots of non-colonial settings. No, no, I'm not, sorry, and and that's not that's not what I'm trying yeah. to do at all here. Like what what I'm trying to get at is the if we look at this idea of 
um, a spirituality that is more connected to the land and to nature mm. and to all of those other things. Like, what does that have to say to Christianity and what does Christianity have to learn from that? And, and yeah. that's where I think and Rowan Williams kind of picks this up really well where he asks what if our physical environment was something other than a bundle of objects a portfolio of assets if our environment were a set of stimuli for learning relating negotiating something in which we need to find our way and something which will if we can listen attentively enough offer us tools and resources for finding our way you know and it's, yeah it's the kind of the, how does that reshape the the human task and the human relationship to god it's the god in all things kind of argument right that's the yeah, it's talking about. I think you can take a real, um, you know, yeah, a, a real kind of dreaming based concept and and apply it across, right? You can you can say, well, you know, yeah, sure, you take God, but what's going on is an understanding where you're able to see and perceive and feel God in lots of different ways in lots of different settings and places that we traditionally don't. We traditionally confine God to the churches or God to the to the to the books or whatever mm -hmm. else, right? But actually God is in all things. God is in specifically and quite uh quite seriously in nature. Um and, and that's something that that I think we we do lose, which I think is is what's being kind of spoken about here, right? And, and that's I mean the the danger in Christian thinking is like to say that God is in nature is to put it one way, but th then to say that nature is God starts to run you into theological problems from a Christian perspective. And and that's the hesitance that, well, like, I mean, a lot of colonial people, including, as, as well as theologians today, kind of run into, um, is that um, what, what William says is that seeing things through this lens and as as you said seeing god in all things he would use the phrase like god's gift in all things but not god's gift of here's something that you have but um he 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 starts to see by unpacking indigenous australian perspectives aspects of the jewish scriptures the old testament differently where the land is given to the nation of Israel, but it's kind of permanently on loan, as it were. It's never theirs to possess and to do with whatever they like. They're, they're custodians of it on behalf of God, in a sense. And, and even just using that language of custodians, that's language that First Nations people here use to describe their relationship with the land. And, and I think there's something that we can learn. Mm. from that and and we don't learn that when we come in and we simply impose our own views and there's not actually a a dialogue because well we've got the right answers because we've got the right understanding of god and therefore we have nothing to learn from you you know another human being who, who is made by and loved by god right so this prompts me an interesting question which is is there a theological argument to be made for the voice here so so and here's what I'm thinking, yeah. right? So the, let me tease this out. I, you know, this is a thought in progress. But is there an argument from a Christian perspective, or honestly maybe even from, from any perspective, to say that as as a nation, uh, the the nation currently called Australia exists in a you know, on a on a particular uh, place in in a particular uh, period of time on land that is uh, that that has a level of imbued spirituality that 
uh, we have certainly not respected for a very long time, mm-hmm. but, but certainly may, may be unique and, and may be in some way, um, you know, uh, as, you know th- that may be accessible in a way that I think we've, we've lost uh, along the way in history in places like maybe Europe and, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and is there an argument to say that, you know, First Nations Australians, as people with continuing connection to that country and continuing connection to that spirituality, that First Nations Australians have a unique ability to listen and hear and access the kind of the deep spiritual resonance that exists within that land that is still present uh, in a way that is unique, just given the kind of the the relatively short period of time um you know, historically speaking, that that um that Westerners have been here, um, you know, and 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 so I, I guess to to me that you know A and B then equals, is there a, is it almost theologically sound to have a structure in your governance of that country that has direct and unique access that a majority of citizens might not have and that, that a majority of people in this country don't have that connection to, to land and connection to, to spirituality, that embedding that avenue uh, and that kind of direct link to the sacredness of land into your government and into, uh, you know, your, your, your powers of state will actually have a very deeply theologically positive impact? That's a really, really interesting question um, because I, I think there are all sorts of kind of moral arguments around, you know, in, in favour of something like The Voice, right? Like from a perspective of, you know, theft and righting the wrongs of the past and that, that kind of thing. But, yeah, I, I think that there, there's an aspect of that. I, I don't want to over-spiritualise it. But that the potential for the the governance and care and stewardship, whatever word you want to use, of the natural environment of Australia to to be enhanced by listening far more attentively than we have done to the people who have that connection to the land and to its cycles and systems and, and place. And all of that. Well, and I think my, I don't know if that's a theological so, argument. So, but so I, I think that that's a practical argument. Yeah, I think yeah. my I think I'm adding a theological layer to that to say it's not just cycles and systems of land, but it's people that understand the inherent spirit that is in the land, right? So you know, uh, regardless of what your religious affiliation is, right? I think it's fair to make a claim and recognize First Nations Australians as having a link to country and a link to dreaming that is inherently spiritual and is inherently tied up with Australia as a physical place, right? And whether mm-hmm. you say that that's God speaking through that or whether you say that that is uh, what First Nations Australians talk about as dreaming or whether it's, uh, you know, the, the the law of nature in Buddhism, like wh- whatever you want to call that, I think, you, you know, it, it's a pretty reasonable argument to say that First Nations Australians access that in ways that, that we just cannot, right? We don't mm-hmm. have the history, we yep. don't have the... Um, the the level of depth of connection, um, and so so I, I guess the layer is not just about the cycles and the kind of the the management of nature, but the management of almost the health of any population trying to live on on this land and the spiritual health of that population to be more inherently connected with people that have a 
direct line to that spirituality. That's it's it's a it's an interesting route, but it's not one that I would want to go too far down from the from the perspective and maybe maybe this is me being colonialist right but from a from a christian perspective that spirituality like i mean no spirituality is ever neutral right and and any spirituality has positive and negative kind of attachments associated with it you've been listening to buddhism Sure. Um, and there are there are Christian critiques of traditional First Nations culture and First Nations spirituality, which I'm in no position to, to make or recount because I'm not a First Nations person. But First Nations people who have become Christians um, look at their culture and their traditions and go some of this is great and wonderful and a gift from god and some of this is really not and really dark and and a negative spirituality they would say um and so i'm i'm hesitant to just kind of go with a a carte blanche of well the entire spirituality of any place is a good thing and and let's run with it like i don't know if it's quite analogous but like in the same way as like having a like i'm, I'm not a, a huge fan of just having a christian government and imposing christianity somehow on everything like does that make sense yeah and, and i guess what i'm talking about is less this idea that we need to impose a first nations based spiritual theological layer on government um because you know the I mean, a that's not what's being proposed. No, no, whatsoever. that's, that's, that's or, or, not what I'm hearing or, or, you say. Or B, yeah, yeah, that's not what I'm saying. But um, but but I think what I am kind of what I am kind of saying though is that and and you know to answer your question, I, I, I honestly I think it is a little bit a little colonialist of you, your position. Sure. Um, but um, but what I am kind of thinking here is it it's not it's 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 more of this acknowledgement that we as non First Nations people and as the majority of this country that is not First Nations just don't have that access, right? And we Mm -hmm. just don't have that ability to tap in to spirituality that is so place-based and so connected to country that we, that I I, I guess the argument is less that there's a specific, because again, I I think, you know, know, let's let's be quite clear about this, you know, First Nations spirituality is deeply varied in itself. There's, oh, no, there's no single yeah. monolithic kind of conception here, right? Like it's over 200 different nations that that all have very different views of things and very different approaches to things. So it's not so much to say that there's a, a First Nations spiritual rule book we just want to apply to how we do things, but more so that there is theological value in having people in place with direct representations to the state who have an access to that kind of knowledge and that kind of spiritual uh, the the spiritual presence that exists in country in Australia that that no one else in the country can have and that that there's value in giving people who have that you know it, it, it it's it's analogous to saying that you know if you're a Catholic and you fully believe in the Catholic 
uh, order of things, it's analogous to saying, well, we probably should listen to the Pope as government, right? Because we're not saying they're going to make all the rules, but they probably have a connection and an understanding of God that I just can't have. And so it's worthwhile making, you know, bringing that connection into the tent. Yeah. And like, I, I get that from the perspective of kind of listening, I guess, which is the entire purpose of a voice, right? Yeah, right. This is the point, right? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm struggling to see in, in how you've just outlined that, how that's kind of theological as opposed to practical. Be- because like government doesn't particularly listen to or consider like, you know, what is God's will when so, so, when so, coming to the decisions it makes, right? Like that's kind of one of the things of secularism. And, and maybe the, it, it listens to Christians and to churches mm-hmm. and it should listen to, you know, First Nations people as much if not more on various issues. So, so maybe the argument is not that it should be taking the opinions of things religiously or spiritually, but more that I, I, I guess maybe the point that I'm making is that I... I I, th- I have a, I have a, it's, and again, it's just a hunch. And this isn't a fully formed opinion at this point. But like, I, I, I just have this sense that there is something there, and there is something, there is something theologically rational about, you know, essentially, and maybe it's just about acknowledging the wisdom, right? And mm. and, and maybe it kind of becomes as simple as that, right? To say that we should. You know, because as as you said, right, the 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 voice to parliament as proposed is you know doesn't actually have any authority, doesn't have any decision making powers. It's purely a an avenue with which the government and the state uh, can listen better um, yep. to voices of First Nations Australians. That like that, yeah. That maybe maybe the argument is that we should be listening to people who have a spiritual connection to the country in a way that we don't. Right, and in a way that yep. we, and that, but that that spiritual connection is on top of all of the, you know, it's the right thing to do. It there's colonialism, there's theft, like all these. On top of all of that, that spiritual connection is actually a really is a good enough reason to listen to people, right? That that if that yep. if, if people if a certain group of people have an ability to tap into a spiritual truth that exists in a country that is uniquely situated in that country and is place-based, that it's probably a good thing to listen to those people a bit more than we do. Um, and, yeah, of course, you don't make all the rules of the state based on that. But, you know, you do maybe pay those voices more credence. Yeah, I can see that. And and there's definitely kind of, with, within Christian thinking anyway, a... a deep valuing of the diversity of humanity and human experience and human placeness and human kind of location. I guess the thing that becomes a little tricky, and and this is talking purely from a Christian theological perspective, so not talking about politics or what should or shouldn't be done by the state here, is to pick up the, the idea that Rowan Williams comes to in the end of this article where he says the earliest christian communities like to describe themselves as resident aliens or migrants people who never allowed themselves to settle down complacently with the style and assumptions they of the society they happen to belong to yet always committed to building relations within that society and holding its needs before god everywhere at home and everywhere to move on 
Um, and he talks about how that challenges kind of the ownership model. Like that's the, the point that he's trying to make there. But it also challenges a spirituality that is deeply linked to a specific place um, be, because of the, the, the oneness and the fullness of God and God's care for all things. So I'm, I'm perfectly happy to like not perfectly happy that's the wrong way to put it like um, i absolutely honor the connection that indigenous people have to the various lands and nations that are on this continent and what that means for them but i I feel like there's almost a, a the the reason that those same connections don't exist anymore in continental Europe in a lot of ways is because of Christianity kind of not severing that connection to country and connection to land, but putting a different lens on it. Does that, am I being colonialist again? Probably. Probably, but I think it's hard not to be in this scenario. <laughs> I, Yeah, and, and maybe that's a perspective I just, I, I, th- I think I find And that's this... not to say that everyone needs to think like that. Yeah. I'm just saying coming at it with a Christian lens on, that's something I see, yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I think maybe I find this easier to just get behind. Um, and, you know, I find it easier just to kind of just go, yep, cool, correct, to First Nations theologies. Uh, from a Buddhist perspective, because it is just very much in line with Buddhism, right? Which we, you know, we haven't touched on yet, but like, you know, but in Buddhism, in Buddhism, we talk about you know the law of nature and the law of karma and the, mm-hmm. you know the the way the world is and the kind of the natural order of things. And yeah, y- you can sub that for for the way that First Nations Australians see the world. Yeah, I think there's you know there's probably a layer of um of of animation to the spirit of the world that Buddhism doesn't inherently add. Um, but you know much of a muchness right like you know this, this idea that the world is kind of holy and you know natural and that the way that the world the, the the balance of the world is kind of something we need to not fight against and not try to you know to to you know to, to try and you know cling to or you know run away from like that that yeah that's all very buddhist <laughs> it's also from what i understand all very linked in with first nation spirituality so you know i guess for me i have a an easier time spiritually kind of just you know seeing the validity and truth in that yeah and i I, and yeah i i think it's would there be like almost a buddhist critique in that though of like well but don't get too attached to no because i i think the way that the buddhists would talk about it is that if you are living in line with the land and and with kind of the, the culture that you wouldn't be attached right like so uh, I, yeah, okay. I, I would say that from a from a Buddhist perspective being enlightened and being a uh, you know a, a first Nations quote-unquote elder um, who is deeply connected to the land and deeply sees and understands everything is, is almost the same thing right like that you know yeah, okay that's I, really I, interesting. I think in, in Buddhism I think my instinct would be that you know you would claim that a lot of elders are enlightened and like many more elders would be enlightened than you know than random religious people of other of other places because they've got such that deep inherent connection to the the nature of the world which is so fundamental to what it means to be enlightened so like they can they can see things differently to the way that most of us kind of perceive reality yeah 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 that's that's a really interesting angle on it 
Yeah. So and yeah, it's almost like you know, um, you know, again, I don't want to fall for the trope of kind of idolizing First Nations religion and spirituality because I think that that's also problematic. But like, you know, I think there could be a Buddhist conception here that it's almost like that um, that a pre-colonial kind of concept of the of living in line with the land that First Nations people did had significantly less layers of negative karma and samsara and craving and aversion on it than a modern Western life does, mm. right? That, like, it's... That the baseline there is way closer to enlightenment than than a lot of what, what we experience on a day-to-day. Which, to come kind of full circle, is, like, a, a negative view of religious evolutionism, mm. that, that things were better beforehand well yeah and, and again this, this this goes back to my whole completely anti-religious evolutionism stance that is no things are just true in all places in all times <laughs> uh and you know you, you don't need to to, to 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 rank them but yeah it's um yeah it, it, it's interesting right i i i it's, it's interesting hearing you talk about this right because like i, I will be completely honest with you i like i i see what you're saying and i i kind of i get what you're saying but i I'll be direct about this, and this, yeah, no, is, this, please, this, please. Is, this is not a comment on you as a person. This is, a, yeah, I think, yeah. a comment on just like I think how intertwined these concepts are. But I cannot scrub out the stench of colonialism from a lot of your opinions on this, and that's not to say that I think you are inherently a colonial person or that you're continuing to contribute to colonialism. But I just think that Christianity is so it's so interconnected and is so much a part of the colonial project that like, you know, that it's just that like, you know, you can say, you know, you're saying things that I think are very valid and legitimate, but they're still colonial and they're still <laughs> deeply like, you know, intertwined with that. And so it's a really difficult space to walk through. Well, it is a difficult space to walk through. Like the, and, and I guess the, the, the challenge is, the the challenge with anything like this is kind of holding this is this this is where not being a religious relativist is is unhelpful right <laughs> like because you should come over and give it a try <laughs> like well holding the the challenge is holding what you to be believe to be the truth on the one hand which is that you know Jesus is the the full like only true way to God. Uh, now, I, I think I, I'd like to think I hold a pretty broad understanding of what that actually means, but it does boil down to like that, you know, there are not many paths, there are one to, to coin that phrase. Um, but then to what that means is that to truly listen to others, which includes yourself, but also includes many First Nations people, is to require you to kind of suspend that belief in order to to hear the other person well mm-hmm. but that doesn't that doesn't entail putting down the belief um, and yeah there's there's been there's been unhelpful things kind of associated with that in various parts of of history mm-hmm. but i i would say that at a at a certain point if you if you're just going to go kind of Christianity and colonialism are so deeply interwoven as to the point where we can't really kind of separate the two without affecting 
what might be sort of core values, core tenets in Christianity, core teachings, then you, you run the risk of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I guess. Mm. Yeah, it, it's, it's tricky. And I, I don't, I don't envy being in your position about <laughs> having to, to deal with that, um, which it reminds me of this time a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar to lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, so they walk into this bar and uh, there's a bunch of like praying mantises. So they're all sitting in the bar. And they're all yeah, sitting, sure. sitting in the bar, having a little a little drink. Jamal's um, doing the praying mantis hands <laughs> praying for those of you who hands, can't yeah. see. Um, and um, and so yeah, they yeah they, they walk up to the praying mantis and say, "Oh, how are you doing? Like, yeah, welcome to the bar." And they're like, "Oh, hi, hi how are you going?" And like, yeah, it's a pretty religious bar. Like, you know, do, do you all follow the same religion, you praying mantises? Uh, and they turn around and go, "No, we're all insects." I thought there was going to be something about prayer in there or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, yeah well, look, I, I appreciate the conversation here and, and I appreciate Jacob as well. Like, I can, I think we do a good job of being able to, to unpack these conversations that do go deeply to our, I guess, our personal beliefs and our personal things. And, you know, you know, yeah, it's, um, it can be tricky and it's difficult conversations to have, but, um, you know, I, I, I think I, I just like to shout out and encourage everyone listening to, to think about and have those difficult conversations, you know, particularly on this totally. issue. I, th- I think the, um, however, whatever your opinion is on, on the, the referendum and the voice to parliament, I think it's important to have a conversation about it and to, to talk about that and to listen to alternate views and to, to kind of, to, to work out, you know, what you want to do based on that listening um, from, from and, various perspectives, but yeah. You know, and, and particularly on this to listen to, we've talked about this a bit on the podcast, but to listen to first nations people like which, Neither of us mm. are, um, but to to get their views on how they think that they're that they can best be represented and heard in their culture and their yeah yeah for sure um so yeah I hopefully this inspires you to to go out and and talk and listen and and engage with the issues because that that's the whole point behind this this is why we started it correct yeah. Very good. Um, you should also listen to Kevin McLeod, uh, who gives some very great music for this podcast. And if you'd like us to listen to you, you can email us at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. Uh, and um, put your listening ears on and send the podcast to a friend. We'd really appreciate it. We'll see you next week.